Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength, he says. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up, princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says, in the time of my favour I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and will find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and leave them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your sons hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your sons gather and come to you, surely as I live, declares the Lord. You will wear them all as ornaments, you will put them on like a bride. Though you were ruined and made desolate, and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. 
Then you will say in your heart, Who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? This is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the Gentiles. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder be taken from the warriors or captives rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your saviour, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. As we're standing, let's pray. Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us and that you would inspire us for that task of which we've just sung, that we might be among those who go forth and tell the wonders of your name, the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the worth of his cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, What's it worth? Don't know if you've ever uh, said that to somebody. Uh, Maybe they've asked you to do something and you say, what's it worth? In other words, how are you going to value my time? Or uh, maybe you're a fan of uh, Antiques Roadshow, you know, where people take their, well, what they hope will be their valuable antiques to to experts to be evaluated. And in the program, the experts pad it out. They tell us all this background story. But what we want to know is, what's it worth? And that's the kind of key moment where uh, where suddenly the big reveal is how much this thing is worth. A few years ago, apparently they had a a painting by Van Dyck that had been bought for £400. What's it worth? Well, apparently £400,000. Well, in Isaiah 49, the passage that we read together a few moments ago, we discover what the cross of Christ is worth. What's it worth? We're introduced in verse 1. It may be helpful if you've got your Bibles in front of you. Uh, So page 735, Isaiah 49. We're introduced in verse 1 to the servant of the Lord. Speaks uh, and addresses us. Now the servant of the Lord is the nation of Israel. Called by God in verse 3 to display my splendor. But instead of displaying God's splendor, actually Israel brought God's reputation into disrepute. And the result was going to be exile. Isaiah is talking about about 800 years before Jesus, but at this point he's looking ahead 200 years, so 600 years before Jesus, to a period when Israel had gone into exile because they had brought God's name into disrepute. And so God promises another servant, an individual who will bring Jacob back, he says in verse 5, who will gather Israel back to God. 
And the Lord says that I will also make this new servant, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles. It's the same word as the word nations. I will make you a light to the nations. In other words, this coming servant will be the light of the world that Israel was supposed to have been. Well, a few hundred years later, the Lord Jesus Christ stood up and declared, I am the light of the world. And he he has in his mind Isaiah's vision here. He's kind of echoing that. Jesus is the promised servant, the true servant, the faithful servant, who makes God known, who displays his splendor. That's what makes him different. So verse 3 of uh, chapter 49 of Isaiah, the Lord said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Well, Jesus perfectly displays the splendor of God. The writer of Hebrews says that the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What is God like? Well, look at the Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus that we see the true holiness, grace, wisdom, power, justice, love of God. And what we see is splendid. He displays God's splendor, says verse 3. But what's he worth? That's the question, I think, that is posed or anticipated in verse 4, in the second half of verse 4. What is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Or verse 5, I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord. God is going to reward the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to honour Jesus. God is going to give to him what he's worth. So what is that reward? What is Jesus worth? Well, the answer is his people Israel. Isaiah is writing to Israel in exile under God's judgment, but God here is promising to restore Israel. But this is the key moment of the chapter. That is not enough. The obedience of Christ is worth more than that. The cross of Christ is worth more. Look at verse 6. The Lord says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Remember, Jesus is the true Israel who restores Israel. So the servant is all about Israel. But that is not enough. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant. It is too small a thing to restore the tribes of Jacob. The cross deserves more. The cross achieves more. And so God says, carries on, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He didn't cling to the rights of his divinity. He took human form. He became, says Philippians 2, a servant, the servant. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was betrayed by a follower, abandoned by his friends, beaten, mocked, 
spat upon, crucified. The judgment of exile was, as it were, kind of focused down on the Lord Jesus as he dies under darkness, under the judgment of God, forsaken by his Father. What is that worth? It's worth the nations. It's worth the ends of the earth. Not one nation, not two or three nations, people from every nation. And that's why we go to the nations. Because the cross, that's what the cross is worth. That's what it deserves. Israel is not enough. Britain is not enough. Australia is not enough. Jesus deserves the praise of every nation. Verse 4. The servant says, what is due to me is in the Lord's hand. It's the language, actually, of a law court. It's kind of literally, my judgment is in the Lord's hands. On earth, Jesus was tried by humanity and found guilty. He was condemned as a blasphemer and executed as a rebel. But that decision has been overturned in the court of heaven. So at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the verdict of heaven. That Jesus deserves the authority over every nation. And then Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Why do we go in mission? To gather the nations to worship Jesus. To gather his reward. The vindication of Jesus has already happened in heaven. And one day it will be matched on earth. One day every knee will bow before him. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. But that vindication of Jesus is anticipated every every time we sing. So we sing his worth in our praises. Every time we sacrifice, every sacrifice we make is a, way, is, is, is a way of saying, this is what Jesus is worth. It's worth giving up these things for Jesus. Every time we speak, in verse 2, the, the reign of the servant is extended through the word as we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is vindicated every time someone is saved gathered from the nations, joining us in worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. Every step we take in mission is a step towards the moment when people from every nation, tribe, language and tongue join together and cry, worthy is the Lamb. This is what he's worth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. It is too small a thing to be concerned just with your parish or just with your family. Christ is worth more than that. The cross of Christ deserves the nations. I cannot tell how silently he suffered as with his peace he graced this place of tears or how his heart upon the cross was broken, the crown of pain to three and thirty years. But this I know. All flesh shall see his glory, and he shall reap the harvest he has sown. And some glad day his sun shall shine in splendor when he, the Savior, Savior of the world, is known. 
That hymn continues, I cannot tell how all the lands shall worship. In other words, I can't tell how how the task of mission will unfold. And that's true for us. I can't tell how God will use you to, to bring the gospel to the nations. How God might lead you or surprise you. Whether you will see much fruit or little fruit. How you might suffer in the process. But this I know. The skies will fill with rapture and myriad, myriad human voices sing and earth to heaven and heaven to earth will answer at last. The saviour, saviour of the world is king. This is what the cross deserves. The nations. And then the rest of the chapter describes how the servant Jesus will receive his reward. And it's full of rich promises and we don't have time to sort of work our way through all of them. Let me just highlight two or three. Israel, Isaiah sorry, describes a new exodus. Verse 11, he talks about, I will turn my mountains into roads. And the point of that is that everyone is coming home, out of exile, back to God. But it's not enough just to restore the tribes of Jacob, remember? And so in Christ, salvation reaches to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 12. See, they will come from afar. Some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Aswan is sort of south Egypt. Probably the furthest place that Isaiah knew the name of. God's people are going to be gathered from the four corners of the earth. Brothers and sisters, that promise is being fulfilled in the mission of the church. In fact, that promise is being fulfilled in this room. In this room, there are people from different nations gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The reward of Christ is, 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 a, is all around, sat all around you. The word, these words that Isaiah spoke 28 centuries ago are being fulfilled this morning in this room. And they're being fulfilled as you send and give and pray and go to gather the nations. So what are, what are Isaiah's promises for us as we take on that task? Have a look at verse 19. Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people. And those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? Imagine you woke up this morning and you found that your house was full of children. I mean, you may have felt like that with your three or four children, some of you, I don't know. Imagine it's just teeming with children. I mean, you, you know, you're trying to count them all, but they're a moving target, so that's, a bit, that's not helping, is it? And they're all going around complaining that your house is too small. Where have they all come from? You're saying to yourself, you know, surely I would have remembered if I'd given birth to all these children. I don't think that would have slipped my mind. Well, in the same way, the people of Israel are going to look around at the people of God and say, I don't remember giving birth to all these children. 
But of course, these children are not ethnic Jews, not just ethnic Jews. The nations have come. People from every nation have come and and joined God's people and they've swelled into a number beyond measure. Remember the key verse is verse six, it is too small a thing. Well, that is being fulfilled in the mission of the church and the salvation of the Jews is too small a thing, important though that is. Now the nations are coming and the numbers are growing. Now, here in verses 19 and 20, what is too small is the place for us all to live in. The place is too small for us, the people say. Give us more space to live in. Can you see how those two things link together? In verse six, the redemption of Israel is too small a reward for the cross, so salvation goes to the nations, kind of a little bit too successfully, because now the, 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 the nation, the place of Israel, the land of Israel is too small a place. It's as if we're all crammed into Palestine and we're all saying to one another, this place is never gonna be big enough. What we need is a new heaven and a new earth. And a few chapters later, Isaiah is going to say, it's coming. The church in Europe feels small. We see few conversions. Numbers are declining. Churches are closing. We've got to remember that Europe is just one place. And this is just one moment. A day is coming when we will say, as the people do in verse 21, I was left alone, but these, where have they come from? Maybe that's how you feel. At the moment you feel we're kind of left alone. But one day we will say, where have they all come from? We will stand around the throne of the Lamb and we will see people stretching as far as the eye can see. There will be more people than sand on the seashore. And we will say, where have they all come from? And then maybe we will say, worthy is the Lamb. This is the reward that Christ deserves. Then have a look at verse 22, another promise. God is going to multiply his children. God is going to vindicate his children. Verse 22, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. You think about the uh, kings and queens of this world, the sort of state of this world. Does it feel like a father to the church? Or does it feel like a threat? Again, at this moment in, in Europe, Christianity is being marginalized. In the last 50 years, probably even just in the last 10 years, we've seen a kind of radical shift from where, where, where a biblical worldview, certainly biblical ethics, were kind of mainstream. But now we're on the margins. In fact, we're, it's, we're, we're not even just on the margins. A guy called Charles Chaput says, people who hold a classic understanding of sexuality, marriage and family have gone in just 20 years from pillars of mainstream conviction to the media equivalent of racists and bigots. 
And then if you go further afield, if you think of North Korea, some of you may have got the open doors. They do every year, they do a kind of listing of the area, the countries where it's hardest, toughest to be a Christian. North Korea is number one. Afghanistan is number two. But one day, one day we will be vindicated, says Isaiah. One day the kings will be carrying us. The queens will be nursing us. They will bow before us. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. At the moment it's tough, but it will be worth it. Because Christ is worth it. And then God will liberate his children. Verse 24. Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? Maybe you ask yourself that question. We look around us and we see the power of Satan. The God of this age, says Paul, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. That's our experience, isn't it? We share the the gospel with people and they just seem utterly blind to all that excites us about it. We wonder how anyone can see Christ's glory. Maybe there are people in your family or among your friends and colleagues, and in a sense you can't imagine how they could be converted. People whose lives are so troubled or whose hearts are so hardened. People who've rejected the gospel so many times. Can they be rescued from the grip of Satan? Well, here's God's response in verse 24. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. Through the cross and resurrection, Satan has been bound. His power is limited. And God is in the business of rescuing people from the dominion of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of the son he loves. For over 25 years, I've prayed for uh, my sister and her children. I don't know about you. If you're praying for the same thing a lot, I tend to try and find ways of varying it up a bit by suggesting how God might answer. I don't know why he needs my suggestions. But I ran out of suggestions a long time ago. I couldn't imagine how God might save them. Well, this year my niece was saved through a church toddler group and we're going to her baptism later this month. Captives will be taken from warriors and the plunder retrieved from the fierce. We can expect and we should expect people to have their eyes opened, their hearts melted, their lives changed. We can and we should expect believers to endure hardship, to resist temptation, to go to serve Christ. For God's children are being wrenched from the grip of Satan. That is what the cross has achieved and that is what the cross deserves. What's it worth? What is the cross worth to you? What will you give up to pursue the glory of Christ? What's it worth? Enough to give? 
enough to send, enough to pray, enough to go. Let me pray now. Father, we thank you for your servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made, that we might be redeemed, that we might be your people. We thank you that you treasure him so much, and treasure his sacrifice so greatly that, that you are giving him his reward, you are giving him the nations. And we pray that by your spirit you would, you would stir in us that same passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore that same passion for the nations that we might sacrifice to see him glorified, to see others come and join in worshiping and crying, worthy is the lamb. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.